Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion as we continue Leanne's Land of the Lost. But I will say this is going to kind of end on a little upbeat. So bear with me as I talk about my favorite season and why that is. But first, I want to congratulate the Detroit Lions. We're very, very excited for my hometown. I had a conflict of interest, and I'll kind of explain my feelings on it. So I'm from Tampa Bay and born in Detroit. So of course, that game was a little bit of a conflict for me. And I did put on my Tampa Bay jersey, and I'll tell you why. When you're a transplant or when you relocate, like I can't tell you how many times I see people from Florida who root against the Florida teams, whether it's the Rays or the Lightning or the Bucks. And I'll share a story in a minute. But that's like one of my strange pet peeves. And it's just from living in Florida. But I feel like everyone comes down here for the nice weather and they have such shitty things to say about Florida and they'll always be a New Yorker or they'll be a Lions fan. And I'm kind of like, well, when are you going to be a resident of the state of Florida? So that's where my compassion goes for the players that I pay to support and cheer on. I feel It's odd for me to live in downtown to have access to such great sporting venues and then root against the home team. So that's my personal opinion. And also, when I was living downtown, I was right downtown, right next to Emily Arena. I saw two Stanley Cup championships and... I was in a building where Gronk lived when we won the Super Bowl. I could see it from my balcony when the fireworks went off. I saw the boat parade from my balcony. You know, three boat parades is pretty awesome. So I've had a lot of opportunity to cheer on a team that just like Detroit, you know, never was really expected to to do very well. So in fact, when I came to when I came to Florida, I was like, oh my God, the Bucks are as bad as the Lions. I'm never going to have winning teams even down here. So I was really excited to see the revitalization of my teams. And downtown Tampa was really developed. And it's been very, very cool to see that transition. So that's my my conflict. But it's really nice to see the Lions win. I went. Th- I was there in October and it was loud even in October and it wasn't a playoff. I mean, I'd been to several Lions games, but even in October, it was so great. So I plan on going back next year. I think I'd like to go to a Thanksgiving game. But all the best to my Detroit Lions fans. I hope you can line the streets of downtown. I also was privileged to take my son. He was just a year old in 96 when the Wings won. And that was fun to go to that Stanley Cup parade as well. So I'm just a diehard sports fan no matter what. But that was my logic for Sunday. And now we move on and I continue to cheer 
Detroit to the Super Bowl and, and hope they win. Anyway, so, and by the way, I'm going on 17 year, years down here. Isn't that weird? I just, that surprises me, but time marches on and uh, I'm on my 17th year being a Floridian. Okay, back to the land of the lost. So, I appreciate all the support that some of you have given me and sent out my way about my little trials and tribulations and my little meningitis baby. So we're going to continue on and it does start to pick up the pace. So I don't feel like it's going to be a bad episode. In fact, I think some of these things are quite funny that I got myself into. So let's carry on. We had all determined from the last episode that, you know, an illness can bring a couple together or it can tear them apart. And in our case, it, it did. And I won't get into all the specifics, but, um, you know, we, we definitely struggled after my son's illness um, with bacterial meningitis. I had to go back to work, even though I didn't want to, and I'll explain that in a minute. But we did go to marriage counseling. So there was like a, you know, there was a 5% effort and I'll tell you why it was only 5%. Um, we went to a counseling session and we went to a man and a woman. And I really liked the guy. Why we didn't pick him, I don't know what the logic was. I can't really remember. But we went to this guy. Oh, I know why, because he didn't like Jay's alcoholism. That's why. So we went and this counselor was brilliant. He said, you know, a lot of couples I see break up because somebody's had an affair. And it's heartbreaking and it's very hard for people to compete with that and get past the feeling that, you know, somebody else was more attractive or whatever the case was. And he said, Jay, in your case, your J and B bottle is the other woman in the marriage. And my jaw dropped. And I was like, wow, that is such a great way to describe the competition I felt with his drinking. And of course, that wasn't something he wanted to hear, but it was so validating of like, I couldn't describe it. It wasn't like, I think when people marry someone or they're dating someone or anybody in, in their life who has an alcoholism problem, you say it's a disease, which it certainly is, but how it affects the other person was probably the most brilliant way I could describe how it affected me that I had ever placed before. And I had been going to Al-Anon meetings. Uh, Jay wasn't going to any meetings, but I went to Al-Anon, which is for those that are in relationships or family members with an addiction. And in fact, it was really weird because it's supposed to be anonymous, but I saw a lot of Jay's friends going to AA, which should have pieced things together for me. But I went to Al-Anon and you know, that's what I was learning is that it's okay to say this is affecting me in a certain way and why I feel rejected and why I feel less than. So yes, it's it's something that he couldn't control, but there's a feeling that a lot of people have where that choice to drink and, and go into another world doesn't include your partner. And that can be a huge rejection. And I was starting to piece together how I was feeling by going to this appointment. So anyway, we 
decided not to continue <laughs> with that guy. We went to this female who wasn't very good, but she was kind of, I think, a little bit more J-speed. And so we didn't talk about the drinking very much. And so I think that was comfortable for him. I think we only went two or three times. And here's what happened. Here's how things went down. So we had homework assignments like you normally would, and we never did them. So at this point, the communication was so bad, it wasn't existence. And so we didn't do anything. And I was getting really frustrated that we would go every week and we'd look at her in the eye and tell her we're going to do stuff. And then we wouldn't speak for the rest of the week till we went to the next appointment. And I thought that was just such a sign of like, okay, we're not even going to put the effort into this. And remember, I had that little file folder put together with all my Bombay things. I had a canopy bed. I had bedding that I had clipped out, probably from JCPenney. I don't know. But I had already put my single woman's file together. And uh, I think I just had one foot out the door. And without, and this is for both of us, without the effort of us doing it in the homework, I remember I said to Jay, I think we need a separation. I knew that, you know, maybe we didn't have enough steps in place to do a divorce, but I definitely wanted to separate because I think we needed to just be away from each other to do the homework and to think over things. I remember I said that that evening and the next day he called me and said, I have... (laughs) This is why I laugh at myself. Oh my God. I have filed for divorce. And if you could go to my brother's law firm and pick up the paperwork, it'll save, (laughs) oh my God, it'll save a $75 delivery fee. So you don't have to be summoned. And I don't want that to happen. Okay. He doesn't want that to happen, but he wants me to pack up our baby and go to my brother-in-law's law firm. I walk in and I'm like, hi, I'm Leanne Pepper here to pick up my divorce papers. Oh, people. I know. But you know, we all make mistakes. So I did that. I picked it up and I won't bore you with all the details, but you know, at the time, I don't know if it's changed. Michigan law was you had to wait six months to have everything be final. So six months had passed and we were ready to go for our final court date. We had done a few mediation uh, meetings and we were ready to do the final court date to close out the marriage. Close that chapter out. File chapter 11. And I had actually already been on a date. Now that probably sounds weird for people, but I remember telling my family and friends who were super shocked by the way that we were getting divorced because we were the very fun couple that you went to dinner with. And Jay was very charismatic. And of course, you know, I'd like to think I was kind of funny. And so together it was uh, fun for us to go out with friends. And so No one really knew we were suffering behind closed doors. And I'm just going to full disclosure, there was no third party. It was just his drinking. We had grown apart and um, Joe's illness was kind of like the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back for 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 me, I can speak, and I just had to share that. So that's that was really what it was. It wasn't a significant thing, but people were shocked. And I always say to people, and I said this to my mom, I said, when someone tells you they're going to get a divorce that damage was already done. You're just hearing the end of the chapter, the end of their story, but it's never something that happens overnight. It's always a long duration of being unhappy in most cases. And so by the time somebody tells you they're divorced, they've checked out a long time ago. And that was 
for both of us. So the fact that I went on a date over this six month period, I just don't want you to think I was out there tramping around, but maybe. But anyway, I wanted to feel wanted. I mean, it was important for me to know I still had game. And again, in the fashion of trying to appease expectations of me, there was this was a guy from Ford Motor Company who was pretty high up. And I think his family had a place in Switzerland. He had a huge house in Plymouth. It was a little overwhelming because it was just not my scene. Remember, I'm just not that person. And I can't put my finger on why I'm not, but I'm just not that automotive wife. I just am not. We went out a couple of times and he put on the full court press, which was actually a beautiful thing for me to recognize that it can happen. But it was so polar opposite. It was kind of unnerving. Like he bought me a purse. And I remember at Christmas time, he wanted to buy Joe a motorized car. I mean, he was only one. It was a lot. So anyways, I, I didn't end up in that relationship. But I'm I'm putting this out there because he had sent me flowers after our first date, like huge, beautiful flowers. And it's the day before court. And Jake came over and said, I, I just want to have a talk with you. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. You know, that's can't believe it. And so he comes over and we're sitting at this kitchen table. And he said, I think we should cancel. I think we should give it another try. Now, as romantic as that may sound, you all know how my proposal went down. You know, it was lackluster. I, I think it was just a lat, last ditch effort. I don't know. I, I, I know he always had trouble expressing himself unless it was in a speech to people. Like he, he liked to talk outwardly, not inwardly, if that makes sense. And I pointed to the flowers, <laughs> which is probably mean. But I was like, yeah, no, I think I'm good. You know, I mean, I said, Jay, I got these flowers after one date. Like, I, I don't think I ever got flowers from you ever. And and vice versa. I mean, I'm, trust me, this is a two-way street somewhere. The truth lies in the middle. So, and remember, he's dead. So I have to be nice about it. But um, I don't need to be nice about it. He was a real jerk. But anyway, I'm just trying to even level out the story. So we, you know, we went to court. And here's the weird thing. We actually were friends. And like I said, that's this was just just two people growing apart. We actually did a business deal after we left court. So he had a advertising company. He was CEO, I think, at the time. And it was going to be with our allergy department at Detroit Medical Center. And it was going to be a, a thing about sending out asthma supplies. By the way, Joe had asthma. And that was my job, ironically, that I did get. Um, I had to go and get a job, which I'll tell you about in a second. But we actually left that courtroom and went to a meeting at DMC with the allergy department and locked down a deal for some telemarketing deal that would ship out products to patients so that they could actually get it to their house. Because Detroit market was tough to get the parents to pick up and, and actually give the asthma treatments to kids. So we were trying to decrease mortality rate within the asthma department, and that was the program. So we go into this conference room and my opening line was, hey, we just got divorced, but here we are having this meeting together. 
I mean, I don't even know exactly what I said, but something stupid like that. And I remember everyone's jaw just kind of dropping. Like, you guys are weird. But we were friends until we weren't. Uh, we were we were friendly. So yeah, I had to get a job. Remember, I had quit my job. And over that course of the year, as Joe started to recover and we knew we were no longer going to be married, I knew I had to go back into the workforce. And that was a real bitch and a half because that was 96. And I had been off work and I was in the pharma industry. And every interview I went to, and I appreciated this one guy, he kind of was really forthright. He said, listen, I know you're qualified. I know you've been in this field, but I just lost my rep due to pregnancy. So I am nervous to hire another female who's just had a baby who might want another one. And even though I said I was divorced, like, you know, it just was a risk. And I realized that that's what I was. I was at that age where a lot of women, and this is where life is, you know, how you want to build the controversy, I don't know, but, you know, it's time for us to have children at my age and there's 50% that stay and 50% that go and a lot of management needed to evaluate that risk level, right? So I went to this one job where it was a home care agency that worked with the Detroit Medical Center. And thank God for this guy. And I'm so sorry, I can't remember his name, but he was super compassionate. I, you know, bared my soul at the interview. I wasn't going to lie about my situation. I said, I really, really need a job and I have to get back to work and I don't intend on having another child. I'm going to be a single parent. And I just need somebody to want to take a chance on me. Long story short, his son had an illness as well. It was an, a degenerative, eye degenerative disease. It was, it was quite terrible. I think he was eventually going to, to be blind as he was in, later in life. And he felt for me. He understood the meningitis story and he gave me an opportunity. And that was like the catalyst to the rest of the positive stories that that transpired after that, building my confidence. I've met some great people. I still keep in touch with a lot of people from the DMC, and I'm going to call it the DMC till the day I die. But, you know, it, that's what it was down there. So shout out to Renee and Christine and um, Perry and a whole slew of people down at the Detroit Medical Center that, you know, helped build a friendship and a career with me. So I give them a lot of kudos and still adore them greatly all these years later. Anyway, I digress. So now I've, I'm employed. I'm working. We're not going to save our marriage. Jay left. I think he was only there for two minutes. So he wasn't too distraught when I said, no, thank you. And I moved down to a little townhouse in Birmingham. And we had to split up a lot of things like people do. And one of the things was I was realizing as we were splitting up our belongings, I just had no idea of who I was. And this is where it's on me. This is where I look back at all my decision-making. And yes, I can be funny about you know the divorce and some things that he did wrong, many. Oh, by the way, he... <laughs> The day I really wanted to file for divorce is when he left him asleep on the changing table. This is a good story. I came home and he was in the in his lounger chair with a glass of scotch. And I was like, where's Joe? And he said, he's upstairs. And I went upstairs and this kid is sound asleep on the changing table. He's on the changing table, which is on top of a dresser, mind you. There's no strap. He's just laying there. He's kind of looking around, actually. He wasn't asleep. 
And I mean, I was, oh, I, anyway, that was not good. That was not a good scene. And yeah, anyhow. So I moved to this place in Birmingham and I just didn't know what to take. And one of the things that kind of was a trigger for me of like really recognizing that I had no clue who I was. Remember the days when you would get CDs for one penny? You joined a club, it was the one penny club or whatever, and you'd fill out a form. I mean, God, everything seems so antiquated. It seems so sophisticated at the time because we had like a big, uh, I, I, I don't know, I forget the name of the speakers. They're still very Clips, clips or something like that. We still had a huge stereo system. We we went in debt for that whole stereo set. But anyway, it was a big deal back then. And, and so even though things changed, we thought we were super uber, uber cool because we had like a 3D CD changer. And we joined this club and everything was jazz. Now, don't ask me why, but like, I just don't like jazz. It's, I like, I like quartets. I like, I like, jazzy things. I should probably learn more about what I'm trying to say here to not insult people that are in jazz. But the whole, you know, 12-hour trumpet solo kind of thing or bass solo, I don't know. It was very almost Zydeco-ish that he liked. I can't explain it. But I was like, you can, he said, I, I definitely, definitely am taking all the CDs. And I said, okay. Because <laughs> I think I was probably still listening to Donnie and Marie. But yeah, I was kind of like, what do you like? You've sat in that house for six and a half years of marriage. And every Sunday you've listened to jazz as you have your breakfast with your husband and you never liked it. Like, who are you? And so thus came the, you know, chance for me to explore a little bit more about what my likes and dislikes were because I felt like so lost. I remember him really wanting that CD collection and I acted like it was a big deal, but I was just, just not liking it. And which is very odd because we had jazz at my, our wedding. I worked at an internship downtown at the time when Jane and I met us finishing college and it was the Detroit International Freedom parade company or something. I don't remember. And we did the fireworks downtown and the race and the jazz festival. So I was the intern for marketing for those programs. And the jazz festival was outstanding. I mean, I met like Etta James and uh, some incredible people. Tony Bennett was picked up by somebody on my team. And uh, we had an opportunity to meet a lot of great artists. And there was one guy, Walt Zamansky was his name. And they had a great jazz band. And his I really liked because obviously I booked him for my wedding. But here's the funny thing. He actually was kind of flirting with me. And I just didn't take him up on the offer because I had just started dating Jay. And I was kind of like, boy, my life could have been so different. He went on to be so uber successful. But I remember at my wedding, he said something like, I went to go pay them. And he's like, you know, this was really weird for me to do. <laughs> Ah, I'm not going to date you, but you can play at my wedding. Oh, God. I just didn't see the signs of any decent men around me. But anyway, so now I'm in Birmingham. I'm in a place called Colonial Court. If anybody in Birmingham, Michigan remembers that, it was an adorable little townhouse community off of Woodward. We saw um, the Woodward Dream Cruise had just started. So much was going on. And I really was starting to discover the beauty outside, finally. And we had this little patch of grass in the back in, in a courtyard that we would run around. 
And Joe and I just became super close. He, w- I took him to, his daycare was at Birmingham Community Center, I think. And we would get Kentucky Fried Chicken on whatever, Thursday nights or something. And they had music in the park and Shane Park. Like life was really good. I liked the people I worked with. We had fun little times. We rode our, I had him in the back of my bike all the time and I just loved it. And so this is where I kind of was starting to get to know myself a little bit more. The only time that was really painful in getting situated in my new life, and I know everyone will relate to this, whether you're a mother or father, any kind of parent who has to go through a divorce, that first weekend, ooh, when you have to switch custody, I remember doing laundry and walking upstairs and passing by Joe's bedroom and he wasn't there. And I dropped to my knees, like unexpectedly dropped to my knees and cried so uncontrollable. I had to catch my breath. And I will always remember that. And it was kind of like, okay, this is what happens in this situation and you have to be prepared for it and pull up your big girl pants and move on. And this is your new normal. So I think everybody can relate who's been in that boat that first, well, even not the first time, but that first moment, like I could smell his room, his little, little he was a little toddler. He was a little one-year-old, almost two. Adorable. Like, you know, it was just, oh gosh. Anyway, but the beauty at that place started to really grow on me. And we moved in the middle of a snowstorm. And by the time I was getting my footing, we had an older couple at the end of the row. And I'd come home from work every day and they would ask Joe how his day was. I mean, now, now we're going on three or four years old while I had been there and took such an interest in him, whatever little thing he was making that day. And I felt like it was such a good community and sort of back home, right? I was back in in Birmingham versus Dearborn, which, you know, was just familiar to me. And, and this is where I started to really kind of figure myself out. I realized that spring became my favorite time of year. If you live in Michigan or anywhere north, you know that fall is always the first thing that everybody says is their favorite time of year. The cider mill, the changing of the leaves, the beautiful mix of colors and and just, you know, it's football, like the whole thing. Fall is is just chilly. I mean, come on. There's a lot to love about it. But all of a sudden, I was noticing the new life that would start on the trees. And that became my beauty. All of a sudden, spring was like the most magnificent thing that I started to notice at a really deep level. And I thought, yeah, it's new beginnings. And how beautiful that these trees get to blossom again and change colors and create new flowers for the season. And I started to have this obsession with tulips. So for me, as I started to grow in my new life as a divorced person, one thing I made sure that I did every year was get tulips. I just felt so comforted by my decisions, by where I was going. And yes, maybe I still didn't know my musical taste at this point, but 
I discovered that I love spring and that I love tulips. And that was kind of um, a revelation that I could at least put two things on the list that reflected just me, myself, and I. So we will carry on next week. Thank you for listening. And join me next time on Class Reunion. All right, friends. That's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review, and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.